0: Ben Scully, 67 years. He was the voice of baseball with the Los Angeles Dodgers. You've heard him on the World Series. He is synonymous with the sport of baseball, but he also was there all those 40 years ago as we celebrate the anniversary of the catch at Candlestick Park. And here's how Mr. Scully called that on CBS TV.
1: Don Landry is six yards away from his sixth Super Bowl. And, of course, for the upstart 49ers, they're six yards away from Pontiac. Third and three. The right side, possibly. Montana. Looking, looking. Throwing in the end zone. Clark caught it. Dwight Clark. It's a madhouse at Candlestick. With 51 seconds left. Dwight Clark is 6'4". He stands about 10 feet tall in this crowd estimation
0: then thanks for joining us so poetic 40 years ago wow
1: yeah it's hard for me to realize until i just celebrated my 94th birthday so <laughs> now i realize the 40 isn't that bad at all
2: <laughs> i get goosebumps still hearing that and uh just what an amazing moment too in so many people's life obviously and all the 49er fans life and the 49er players, but it's amazing. How many times do you think you've heard that call over the years that people have talked about for so long?
1: Yeah, I still get goosebumps uh, for the moment, you know. Uh, The thing about that game that made it so great, it was literally and figuratively, it was, uh, what would you call it? Seesaw, at least. In other words, the Niners scored, then Dallas got a field goal, Dallas scored so it was 10-7 Dallas then uh, the Niners moved up and scored and it went back and forth back and forth and even at the end if I remember there was something like 50 seconds left and it was still a chance for Danny White and uh, the Cowboys but yeah it's it's a game that left a great impression on me and I remember getting on the airplane flying back to los angeles and i put my head back on that chair and i thought about it and i figured i will never see a better game than that wow. one and so that was my last game doing football
2: wow yeah it was Incredible. a good one to went on
1: <laughs> that's say- pretty
2: good we all wish we could f- end it that way
1: yeah it was a great way to end a portion of the career yeah
0: And there was a four-year-old young boy who was sitting in Candlestick Park that day with his father. Tom Brady Sr. took a four-year-old Tom Brady to that game. Tom, what do you remember of that game? And how many times have you heard that tape of Vin, call the catch, all these years later?
2: Yeah, quite a few, quite a few. And um that was one of the great moments in my life. And there's not many memories, you know, when you think back to your early childhood that you can remember so vividly. And I certainly did. And it left a big imprint. I fell in love, you know, when you fall in love with football and it's in your DNA like that, you know, my parents somehow got us tickets to that game, um, and became season ticket holders after that. And As a four-year-old kid sitting in the stands, I was actually in the opposite end zone. And, um, you know, I, I told a story earlier that, you know, I wanted one of those foam fingers that with the 49ers, the number one. And I was, my parents always said I was crying the whole first half because they wouldn't get me one. Because I said, we <laughs> kept holding them up. And, you know, the game ended up as just as, as we just heard, that, you know, everyone jumped up out of their seat. I couldn't see anything at that point. And I was four, but I did have the foam finger. So I was very happy. Well, um, somebody about five years ago in the mail, randomly i got a red 49er foam finger so i kind of swore i kind of swore off the 49ers after they skipped over me six times in the 2000 draft and they took (laughs) another quarterback in the third round so i kind of you know didn't think too highly of them for a long period of time but after i got that foam finger i thought man that was pretty cool that was pretty cool to still you know be a part of it and even when i see the niners play today they're still a part of me that you know always you know roots for them just a little bit so uh That was an amazing moment in my life, too. So,
1: I was uh, about eight years old, and we had a big four-legged radio in the living room. And I used to crawl under the radio and listen to college football. There wasn't much else on the air. And the little loudspeaker was directly above my head. And I would curl up and listen. And the first thing that captivated me was the roar of the crowd. The next time I started to think, boy, I wish I was there. And before I got through one full season, I thought I'd like to be like that broadcaster. And all of that worked out, not with the number one finger, but just eight-year-old heart and a great imagination.
2: Wow. Incredible.
1: Tom, how much more do you
0: remember having watched that play? a thousand times and Vin's call than you do actually be in there. And how much did that call just leave such an indelible impression that you wanted to be a part of football?
2: So much, you know, because we were kids growing up in that era where, you know, we went to those games. We talked about the 49er games. We, it was such a big part of our life because that era and dynasty of 49er football for all the kids who grew up in the Bay area, that changed that whole, that whole part of Northern California. And, um, you know, when we went to school, we would be talking about you're I'm Joe Montana and you're Dwight Clark and I'm going to roll right and I'm going to throw it up and, you know, we're going to recreate the catch and we're going to up plays and we're going to name the plays and because the catch was named. So we're going to call the dagger and the secret weapon and we're going to, you know, that's that's how we played on the schoolyard. So, you know, I even thought about that being in Boston for 20 years, you know, it really wasn't a football town like the Red Sox, the Red Sox pretty much dominated Boston, you know, even when I got there and I tell you, by the time I left 20 years later, it was every bit as much of a football town uh, as it ever, as it was a baseball town, you know, people now, people root for the winners and, and it's good because people, when people invest their time, they want to invest it in a, in a fun way. So, you know, to win, to be a part of that, that really stoked my love for the game and Joe Montana, you know, what he did for me as a young player, looking up to him and, and, you know, our family and our support of the Niners and, and, uh, you know, watching, you know, Roger Craig and Wendell Tyler and Tom Rathman and Freddie Salmon and John Taylor and Jerry Rice and Ronnie Lawton, those guys that I see now, I still look at them. I go, wow, they were just, they're, 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 they're just kind of Goliaths in my mind, you know, sure. because at this, this time in my life, they were the ones that I thought, That's who I just really looked up to and admired so much. And I was, I could never imagine that the spot that I'm in today, um, but just blessed beyond words can even imagine, um, you know, how many great football memories I've been able to be a part of in my life.
1: This might be an impossible question, but you now have thrown 700 touchdown passes. So, could there possibly be one that gave you more joy than all of the others?
2: That's a great question. That's a great question. I remember my first one. Um, I remember the one that broke the record for the most touchdowns ever. Um, I'm sure if I saw all of them, I would pick a few out. But, sure. Um, the one's probably earlier in my career probably m- meant the most because i was didn't have the confidence that i have today you know today i kind of expect to go out there and play really well but when i was young i wasn't sure you know am i capable of doing this am i am i ready am i you know is, is this what i'm supposed to be doing so probably some of the like this the super bowl i threw one to david patton in the 2001 super bowl god rest david's soul he was a great man too and um, i threw a little out and up to the back of the end zone in super bowl 36 and that was john madden was on the call and uh you know that was probably one of my favorite touchdowns i've
1: ever thrown in my life that's good to know i'm sure joe montana had so many last minute victories when he was at notre dame but also i can't imagine him thinking of a better play and from what i understand it um that play that looked like a high throw to dwight clark but actually that was a play they had rehearsed it and practiced this endless hours and so it wasn't like a pass that was overthrown it was set up to be that way
2: so amazingly i'll tell you and that happens that definitely happens and um Sometimes you throw balls and it's funny because yesterday we, there was a, a very cool record that I was a part of where I, I, it was, we broke a record yesterday for the most passes completed in NFL history. And I threw it to Mike Evans, who Mike's one of the great receivers. Well, I was getting pressured and I knew where Mike was running, but when I got, was releasing the football, I was throwing the ball basically to the sideline. I had no idea. I mean, I knew where Mike was breaking in the vicinity, but I was not, there was no pinpoint accuracy. It's not like in baseball, there's a catcher's mitt. You know what I mean? And I just got to hit the catcher's mitt. The catcher's mitt's 15 yards wide. And I threw the ball up in the air and I got hit. So I went to the ground and I was kind of pissed that we didn't have the right blitz pickup. And sure enough, I look up in the crowd because of course I'm thinking that was third down we're off the field. And I hear the crowd go, and cheer and I said <laughs> we hit that holy cow let's go down at the two yard line so in some ways as a quarterback you have those moments where you want to you know you throw it to a place where you think only your guy can get it and I watched it on film now and I'm kind of like wow that looked exactly like we rehearsed it except it wasn't quite like we rehearsed
1: it it was pretty pretty amazing it was a good throw and an amazing catch you know one of the things I had to look it up to be sure but I thought that uh, the Niners were kind of fast and furious in handling the ball. And he, uh, San Francisco, had six turnovers in that big game. Wow. And usually six turnovers, you're not going to win. Six, mm. six turnovers, you Never. can basically
2: guarantee a loss. We yeah. had some pretty cool statistics when I was a part of the Patriots. We, Belichick, would, he'd recite them a lot. And um, we had a 95% chance of winning the game if we didn't turn the ball over. So he would always say that, you know, to start the week, just remember Brady 95% chance. Wow. If you don't turn it over, we're going to win. Well, I'm saying, well, look, I can't just take, take a knee and, you know, I, you know, punt to the other team. We got to actually take a little risk here in order to move the ball down the field and score points. But it's exactly that it's, you know, it's a tough game, and, and those turnovers can, you know, those, those swing a lot of outcomes of a lot of games. You're pretty fortunate when you turn it over to win. And I don't think I've ever been a part of a game that had six turnovers and won, unless our defense got six of them back.
0: Vinny, you asked Tom an impossible question. Let me ask you an impossible question. You've had some of the most memorable calls in baseball history. You've done 12,000 Major League Baseball games. Sandy Colfax, perfect game. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Uh, the World Series in 86 through Buckner's uh, through Buckner's legs, Kirk Gibson uh, winning in 88 for the Dodgers, Don Larson's perfect game in 56, and the catch. Which one ranks first on your list?
1: I think because of the sheer shock as to what took place, the Gibson home run would be the most electric. Granted, Montana to Clark is a very electic moment, but uh, Gibson, first of all, remember, uh, was not going to play. In fact, we were in commercial in the bottom of the ninth inning, and I said to the director, Harry Coyle, do me a favor, follow me. Harry said, okay. So we came out of commercial, and it showed the blimp looking down at Dodger Stadium, and I remember saying, if you were here with us tonight, the first thing you would do would be look into the Dodger dugout. Wham! Harry's in the dugout, a pan of the camera. There's no Gibson there. So I say, obviously, Kirk Gibson will not make an appearance. Meanwhile, I have no idea where Gibson is. He's sitting in the trainer's room, two huge ice bags on both of his legs, He's so beaten up. He answered me, from what I understand, a little bit of a horse, Scully, and it inspired him to get up, tell the bat boy to go down and tell the sorter, I'm coming. And so I'm doing the game now, and they have a runner at second base, the Dodgers do, and all of a sudden, coming out of the Dodger dugout, using a bat as a cane is Kurt Gibson. And then without going too much more time about it, he limps to the home plate. And I'm thinking if he hits the ball on the ground, he can't run, so they've got to get him. So I just hope, that's one of the few times I ever said that to myself, just hope that uh, he doesn't strike out. Well, he gave it some battle and then he remembered a scout's tip that sure enough, the pitch was gonna be a 3-2 slider and he hit it for a home run. I think all of that from the moment we looked in the Dodger dugout to the home run was without a doubt the most dramatic, pure theater that I've ever seen in a game.
0: And you said, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, in the year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. Something to that effect, correct, Vin?
1: Yes. What happened? Uh, if I had a trademark, and remember I mentioned to Tom, when I was eight years old, I would lay underneath the big radio, and just like water coming out of a showerhead, the roar of the crowd just absolutely made me delirious with joy. So ever since I learned to broadcast a little bit, I would call the play, shut up and let the crowd roar. That was kind of my trademark. And someone once wrote, uh, Scully made his greatest contribution by saying nothing. That was after one of the home runs in a World Series. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, that's right. I have nothing to say. So up to my last game, when a ball was hit and the crowd reacted for a brief few seconds, I was eight years old again under that radio. Well, the only
0: thing that's been missing from Tom's career is to have had a call from Vin Scully.
1: Absolutely.
2: Thank you so much, Vin. What a pleasure. Oh,
1: Tom, it's my pleasure. God bless, stay healthy, and keep breaking those records. Us <laughs> old fogies watching on TV love to say it.
2: I'm an old fogey in my line of work, too, and you're certainly <laughs> not. You could still do it as well as anybody. I promise you that.
1: Well, and my best to your wife and family. Hope everything is Happy is the way you're playing.
2: Thank you, I appreciate it.
0: What do you think's the tougher task, Vinny, to have done, done the games at 88 years of age or to be playing football uh, <laughs> like Tom is like at 44? <laughs> I,
1: I think there's no doubt about it. Uh, Tom's job, no one ever tried to tackle me, smother me, twist my arm. Uh, they just let me blabber where uh, Tom's got a tough assignment both mentally and physically. No comparison.
0: Thank you, Vinny. God bless.
1: All right, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Tom. Take care. Serious XM Podcasts.